Welcome to Engineering Career Journeys, brought to you by Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. This is a podcast series where we interview prominent senior engineers from across Australia and delve deeper into their career journeys and how they got where they are today. We hope that this will inspire and assist up-and-coming engineers in planning their own careers. Now over to your host, David Armstrong, General Manager of Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. Welcome. Today we're meeting and talking with Dean McCarroll. Dean started his working life as a qualified toolmaker and quickly moved into the machine tool industry, seeing the growth potential for his career. Dean was active for many years as a mechanical service engineer, working within Australia and Southeast Asia, then moving into sales and management based on his significant experience and expertise in the machine tool industry. For the past 20 years, Dean's been working with the highly regarded and innovative Okuma, a leading machine tool manufacturing company with headquarters in Japan. Okuma Australia specializes in the distribution, installation, and commissioning of high quality CNC machine tools, robotics, factory automation, and turnkey projects, after sales training, spare parts, and field service. Dean's current role is managing director with responsibility for both the prominent Okuma Australia and New Zealand entities which are both valuable and successful members of the Akuma Worldwide Global Network. Dean's drive and focus is spread across their impressive local footprint of seven offices and support centres with a keen eye on business development, operational excellence and ultimately client satisfaction. He's a long-time member and regular contributor to a number of associated industry associations. Thanks very much to you, Dean, for joining us and let's start at the beginning. Sure. Dean, why did you choose a career in the machine tool industry? Well, I did, a, um, I did my trade as a toolmaker, and I did that for a uh, Weybridge and Scale company, which was fairly mechanical, fairly mundane pieces of equipment. So I, as soon as I finished my apprenticeship, I thought that wasn't for me. We were in a workshop all day long. Uh, the Bundy clock told me when I had to start, when I was hungry, when I wasn't hungry anymore, when I had to leave. And I vowed and declared that would never be the case. So I left there and I worked for a company called Pearson Machine Tools, which is a hydraulic express brake guillotine company, an English company. And they were the premier company and uh, we had an office in Australia. But again, they were fairly plain and mundane pieces of equipment. There wasn't a lot of technology in a press brake or guillotine and there's still not much. They're not much different to what they were then. I saw an opportunity uh, for NC at the time. It was tape machines. And I thought, this is just spectacular. I could see a machine moving by itself without anybody standing in front of it. And it was just obvious this was going to go somewhere long before you know, PCs and computers and everything came along. So I, I left Pearson Machine Tools after about 18 months and I joined a company called John Hart, who was a Yamazaki Mazak distributor, quite a well-known brand around the world. And I could just see that was the future. That was simply where it was going. So I headed off to that. I didn't quite know where I was going to go with it. I was a service engineer, mechanical service engineer at the time, but it was just obvious that and this was even sort of before robotics came along, but it was obvious that you know computerized activity was just far more efficient and, and the, the work pieces that came off were more sophisticated and consistently looking better. And I thought, well, this is for me. So hence I went there. I stayed at John Hart for 23 years in service sales management, national management. 
and then I left there and probably did, you know, I was the bad guy and I went to their nearest competitor <laughs> down the road and I've been here for 20 years now. So, And it is every day exciting and every day we're playing with new technology and breaking new grounds and high-end customers. Hence my judgment of getting into machine tools has probably been, you know, correct. Fantastic. So clearly one you don't regret. Oh, not in the slightest. No, not in the slightest. My my, I sort of got my, my groundings where my father was a, a an engineer of sorts, and we had a big workshop in the backyard. So we just played in that. And even then, you could see that it was only going to get better. So uh, yeah, he was very supportive of what I was doing, and it's been a nice life along the way. It's still a good life. It's very exciting. We've managed to play with the best of the best all the time. It's called you know allowed me to travel and do all sorts of other things, and to be involved in some you know very high-end quality workshops. So no, not at all. Uh, I, and if somebody had a, a mechanical aptitude, uh, this is certainly what I'd suggest they get into. Very good, very good. During this time in the early days, Dean, what would you say that your biggest turning point or break, which potentially accelerated your career even even faster? I guess when I was at Pearson Machine Tools um, at, the, at the young age of 21, I get, I'd only been there for about 12 months. And we were delivering machines into Asia, but the senior guys were going doing that all the time. And they came to me one day and said, look, we have some machinery to, we, you know, these were the size of houses and you had to build them like Picano sets. And they said, you know, can you go up there and do some work? So at the age of 21, I think I'd left the country once or twice as a young person, but off I went on my own business trip. And that, looking back at it, that gave me the confidence that I knew I could do things. Clearly they knew I could do things as well. I remember at the time the MD took me to the airport, watched me get on the plane and said, you know, give us a call when you need a hand. I went to Thailand for about four or five weeks. We had agents over there, so I was just directing the agents and doing the work. Finished the jobs in Thailand, went to Singapore as when it was the next area I had to go to. And after a couple of weeks there, the MD rang me and he said, where are you? I said, I'm in Singapore. He said, well, when you call me, I said, well, you told me to call you if I needed a hand. I didn't need a hand. I did all those jobs in Thailand and I'm now in Singapore and I'm doing those jobs. I'll be home about three or four weeks. And I mean, I look back now and I had you know, photos when I got home and my family was celebrating. And to me, it was just going off doing a job. So it gave me confidence that I could do it without all the excitement and I could do it without being nervous. And they could see that in me as well. And perhaps as a young guy, you don't necessarily see that in yourself. And that made all the difference. That, that simply made me instantly worldly, instantly confident of running a team of people and being trust, entrusted to do things overseas without anybody you know, working behind me. So that kicked it off. It really did. To really strengthen your confidence and, and your own abilities and your ability to cross cultures, interact with different people. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'd, I'd always been yeah, confident. I guess at 21, most people are young blokes are fairly capable. You think they're capable. But I, I always thought I was confident in just a, a local sense of living in a locality and going to work every day. I took on most things, and I didn't see this as a particularly big task, actually, but it obviously was. And so when I, when I reflected on it after a while, I thought, gee, I actually did all that, and these people had some confidence in me. So onward, onwards and upwards after that. So it was, a good, it was a really good learning curve, and I probably didn't appreciate it at the time when I was over there, I just had a task to do, or several tasks to do. And but looking back at it, like I say, just it was that's probably the most memorable thing. Lots yes. of things have happened since then, but that's probably the thing that actually made all the difference between yes, you know, plodding along in a job and actually uh, making a career out of it and, and doing something. Very good, and sounds like a lot of fun as well. 
I had, a, had an absolute ball and I still have the photos <laughs> in my garage. And I look back at them every now and again. And because at the end of each installation, you have a big party yes. with all the locals that helped you, you know. Yes. And uh, so, you know, we had, we had fantastic parties and I saw all sorts of things on my sort of weekends often and, uh, you know, came back with bags of stuff for my families and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I had a ball. So sometimes being, being thrust into the deep end is, is actually a great way to, to learn and improve and, and, and enhance one's career development. Look, I think so, and I guess what you don't ever do generally is toss yourself into the deep end. People have to see that in you and think, yeah, he'll make it, we'll, we'll throw him over there. And obviously they've been testing me along the way yeah, that I was capable. Yes. So I agree. I think there's a certain amount of, um, you know, one of the things I'll talk about at some stage is, you know, getting out of your comfort zone. Mm. And you probably do that more as you get older because you know you're capable. But when you're younger, you don't, and you almost don't know what your comfort zone mm. is. But to be thrown out of it, it's a sink or swim thing. Dean, have you had many mentors along the way? And, and if so, how did they help you? Look, I think, and I've said this to a number of my staff over the years, I, we all have mentors. Sometimes we don't know we have mentors. We don't know there is people, uh, people looking after us or looking out for us somewhere in their workforce or in life generally. But I guess the ones that I had in my early working careers, they took the place of my father during the day. It's probably how best I can mm. describe it. My father used to um, drop me off at my work when I was doing my apprenticeship because I didn't drive. And, and you know, I'd, I'd do something wrong and they'd chip me or do something about it. And I'd get in the car in the afternoon and he'd say, how's your day? I said, well, yeah, so-and-so did this to me today. And I'd expected Dad to go in and, you know, give him an earful. And he said, well, you must have done something wrong. Right. And that was his response. So they were like my father's at work. And my father was a tough um, ex-army guy. And so the, the people that I worked for, to me, mentored me during my working day as my father was doing on the outside. So that kind of married to me a fair bit. It sort of matched my father's work ethic. Mm -hmm. And then I can see that those particular people, as we are just talking about before, gave me the confidence to mm. go and explore some things. And, you know, and, and in each company I've worked for, I, you know, I won't name them, but I could name the, the mentors I've had. And, and I guess as I've gone along, they've taught me more about business as opposed to work ethic or business cultures or, how to, you know, how to deal international or something, something like that. And I think I haven't had somebody said, okay, we're going to walk you through life. But I think occasionally these people do come along. You almost don't know they're there, but it pays to listen to them and, and you'll get guided a little bit, you know. And I'm sure there are other ones that I probably can't name that have but had some effect on me and took some interest in me somewhere along the way. How important were further studies for you, Dean, in order to reach to your level? Sad to say, I did very little further studies. Okay. Some of my friends when I was younger were going off doing mechanical engineering, production engineering. I had a look at it all. To be honest, Andrew, I was distracted by life and, you know, wanted to be at the beach or I've been a drummer all my life, so I wanted to be out doing gigging in rock bands and, you know, head hair past my shoulders and all that, which you wouldn't pick now. But <laughs> So that just seemed to be just an inconvenience and an interruption to mm -hmm. where I thought, life should be and I, I actually so say, I'm sad to say I did very little but I guess what I looked at I applied myself to you know tacky sound of it a whole lot of street smarts yes and I watched everybody along the way and I learned from other people along the way yes. do I regret it uh, yes I do but do I feel like I've it's harmed me in some ways not particularly mm -hmm. would I have been better off absolutely mm -hmm. yeah, no doubt but um I guess I've sort of made up for it in, in some other ways. And the other thing I probably probably have done because I didn't 
do some studies was uh, eventually I learned to get out of my comfort zone and get myself up very uncomfortable on many occasions and that probably taught me some hard lessons that I picked up from. Yeah, so uh, now my advice is not to everybody to do that, quite frankly. <laughs> I think if, um, you know, and probably at the pace where technology is now and human resources and management of people and uh, management of your own life, uh, you know, to a point more education has to be better. Yeah, you, has to be better so. Okay, no, that's, that's great. I mean, you learnt as you, as you went along and then and I guess continual improvement is something that you, you live by and your organisation does. Absolutely. And there wouldn't be a day that, that passed you by without you learning something. Absolutely. If you can, if, I don't know, you could see into my office, David, if you can see. Yes. Yeah, okay, so behind me, if you zoom in later on, you'll see a sign called Monosakuri. Monosakuri is a Japanese philosophy, the art of making things better than ever. So it's a little bit about like continuous improvement that the automotive companies are run, but to continuous, continuous improvement generally over my view, it's sort of saying what you haven't, what you've done is not good enough and sort of smacking you on the back of the hand and it needs to be better or faster not very personable, fairly hard to accept if you don't accept that sort of way. If, you're, you know, if you think you've got a bit of a mind to yourself, Monosecuri is taking something that is already good and making it better. And this is a philosophy uh, that I learned in Japan many, many years ago. And when I took over as MD, I brought into the company and that's why I have signs in my office and all around through the company. And it's about taking something that is good, appreciating it's good, how are we going to make it better? And not doing that just for the sake of yeah, meeting the KPIs, but actually making it so that it works nicer for us, so it's more enjoyable, or you know, it's more fun to do. And I guess that's probably what I've, you know, didn't know about modern security when I was mostly growing up. That's how I always looked at it. Yes. You know, how can you make it better? How can we have more fun out of this? How can it be more sure. balanced? And it's what I kind of live and roll by. And it's what when I brought it into the company, I said this this is not something that just the old man thought up and therefore it could last for three months and finish off. Not at all. It's in all our correspondence. It's at all the managers' level to talk to their staff about what we can do to make. And it might be that the chair isn't comfortable or I don't like the colour of the walls or it might be that the process is poor. It's not just you know, the admin side of the business or the production side. It's actually about the life and how we make our life outside of work better and more enjoyable as well. I mean, it sounds very preachy, but it's, you know, it's fairly natural, you know. Take something that's good and make it better, you know. Start a marriage that's young and good and make it better as it gets older. It's very simple. Striving to be better is a great message, very, very powerful message, very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So that's probably, you know, the, what's guided me through, you know, perhaps a lack of formal training has made sure. it the other way. Are you involved in any personal development yourself, Dean, to keep on top of industry changes? Again, not in the terms of, you know, formal um, educational training or, you know, receiving mentoring or such like that. What I do, I read every day everything I can find apart from, you know, the junk news stuff. I actually don't watch news on TV anymore because, you know, it's just media hype. I travel fairly, you know, fairly constantly around Australia. I travel yearly uh, to several machine tool exhibitions around the world. Um, I do things that are relevant to what I'm doing. Like I don't go to aerospace shows just for the sake of it, you know. If there's a machine tool element to the aerospace show, then I'll, I'll go to that. So I go to an engineering machine tool events around the world a couple of times a year. I take people with me so that they learn. Which sounds fairly trite, but I, I connect with those people who can share information with me that'll help me. You know? um, but I guess in some ways, it's a little narrow because I work on what's good for me and, and the business I'm, and the industry I'm in. 
So it's not in a, not in a formal sense that I don't you know I don't sit on um, other boards or I don't have a, you know connected with directors associations yeah. or you know tutoring or this sort of thing. It's it's fairly hands on and fairly real world the way I go about it. But uh, you know you're forever learning. I'm going through some HR work at the moment and doing a fair, you know some sort of evening works on that and I think you can't not stop. I mean it's boring otherwise. <laughs> So staying connected then is clearly clearly something you do very well. How much networking do you do yourself in today's very much online environment? Okay, so I do, um, actually only yesterday, uh, Vernia Society, I don't know if you're aware of Vernia Society. Vernia Society is a, a Victorian society of uh, sort of senior and some retired engineers. And some of them are machine tools, some are manufacturing engineers. I was invited to join this, or I was invited as a guest a couple of years ago, and I've been invited to join about 18 months ago. We meet once a month. That's pretty nice. We meet at Kuyong Tennis Club and have lunch. We have guest speakers. And the guest speakers are generally related to engineering and they're generally related to success in engineering. And they might be senior people from automotive companies or people who have developed carbon fibre push bikes, very, yeah, $30,000 push bikes, high-end bikes. You know? So we do that. And I deliberately did that to surround myself with senior people, people older than myself. There are some younger ones there. People have been successful in engineering and, and still are. People who are, you know, taking on consultancy roles, bringing their expertise to the table. And it's a really lovely group of gentlemen. Uh, up till recently, we turned up in the collar and tie. And if you didn't have a tie, you got fined. So it's a very it's nice, nice mm-hmm. formal. That they relaxed that a little bit lately, which I'm actually not happy about. I prefer to sit there with a tie because it, you know, it puts a bit of formality to it. So we've been meeting for uh, each month. Now, we can't do that at the moment. So yesterday, we had our first online meeting. There were... 33 of us online yesterday and we had a guest speaker he was a senior writer from one of the bigger newspapers but had a had a, a bent for manufacturing and it was great yeah we had it we listened to him we had a chat about where we think it's going what else could we do how can we bring things to the government that's a big part of i guess my networking uh, you know if i take customs out of the side being in the environmental industry i'm a member of amtil our organization so I take part in a lot of meetings down there. I go to every one of their functions best I can. I, you know, write for them occasionally or write a couple of things about it. So I'm pretty connected with that. Very good. Which streams of engineering do you think provide the best career opportunities for engineers in the future, Dean? I, I guess based on what's active now and what's you know reasonably likely to be active in the, you know, the next 20 years, you know, I mean, things like... Silly as it sounds, aftermarket automotive and performance engineering. You know, we have fantastic customers who make a lot of parts for aftermarket automotive, high-end turbochargers, supercharger systems. Cars are getting smarter and they need more technology put into the cars these days, you know. When the GFC happened, you know, a lot of young people stopped buying Holden special vehicles. They couldn't afford to buy them. But they'd spend $20,000 on a set of brakes and a, and a turbocharging system for those cars. And you get companies like Harrop Engineering, who you probably know of, massive business in the sort of automotive technology stuff. Our customers here, Hollinger Engineering, you know, race car, really good. And if you look at Formula One, the, the tricks that are in Formula One, you know, and then, then apart from that, you know, the electric car systems coming along. You know, yes. Nissan down here in Dandenong, you know, there's a lot of smart electric cars are going to come along, no doubt, you know, in, into the future. So anything that's in that quality high-end automotive, not the old just bolting cars together, certainly I'll be doing that. Aerospace, I, I read a report a while ago that talked about 
if there's something like 30,000 planes in the air at any one time, 20,000 of them are going to be replaced over the next eight to 15 years, I think it is. It was, it was an amazing number of planes that need to be newly built. So anybody's in the aerospace, defence aerospace as well. You know, Australia's now starting to make drones, that are drone planes for ourselves. Medical's always there, but it doesn't, it doesn't consume a lot of engineering necessarily. It's consuming a bit more software and such like that at the moment, but not just so much the physical engineering. Good old civil construction, transport and mining are still there, you know. All the cities are becoming busier. We're all tunnelling underneath them. They're tunnelling under Boston and all those places. You need sharp people uh, doing that, you know. Certainly transport, you know, we've got faster trains, faster planes coming along, you know. Uber helicopter systems and all these sort of things have to come from somewhere or another. Yes. Mining, you know, whether it's in the, you know, coal's not quite as interesting for people and it's a pretty grubby end of town, but... A lot of the products, the lithium and such, to go into all of our tricky phones mm. we're carrying there, well, that has to come out of the place somewhere. It has to come out smarter. So I'd certainly think in those areas, you know. And then, yeah, then you've got all the day-to-day you know, subcontract engineering and you know, bits and pieces and whatever. Uh, they'd be the ones that, you know, if I had a son at this age, where, where would he go ahead, you know. And I think even the more traditional shops, you know, I have some customers who are making hydraulic cylinders. Well, they're making beautiful and very complicated and really high-end hydraulic cylinders these days, you know, for things that lift trucks up or go into tunnels underground or something like that. So yeah, I don't think we can beat the good old, you know, hard engineering stuff, but it's in that the shinier end or the, the more sophisticated you know, quality of componentry in our field. I mean, if we were overseas, you'd be talking perhaps, you know, about machine tool building or something like that, you know, but there's only really one in Australia, which is Anchor, you know. You might be talking about, you know, different defence work overseas or jet engine systems or something like that. But again, we don't do the peer peer. And so that's why I'd be heading it. Sure. Plenty of opportunities. Yeah. Dean, you've been very generous with your time. I've got one more question, if I may. Yep. What are the key messages for you to share with up-and-coming engineers? Well, I've, I've thought about this one the other day a fair bit. So I've actually got a bit of a list here. So forgive me if I rattle off a bit of a list, you know. And this is kind of, I don't know. My model in life, and and necessarily means the right model, but um, yes. you can only go off the advice you you, know, you think you take for yourself, you know. So I've I've listened up here. So forgive me. Make your day enjoyable. Like that's how it should be. You know, your day you're going to spend a lot of time doing it. If you don't like what you're doing, not necessarily change the company, but change what you're doing about it. You know, or how you're seeing something, or trying to see it from the other side, or step away from it for a little while, and then come back to it. You know, but make your day enjoyable. Certainly surround yourself with positive people. When I was young and, you know, raw silly and some of the guys were in my groups all wanted to get into a punch-up after the band, well, that was just stupid. So we just, you know, you'd move away from that sort of influence and I've done that all my life. I've surrounded myself with people who were positive and not wanting to get into fights or get drunk or, or, or see the negative side of something, you know. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. Respect age and experience and I, and I still... Still live by that, and I still refer to people older than myself as sir, and and ask them, you know, for some some advice on some things. And I think that's that stayed with me all the way along. Uh, stay connected to your employer, even when you don't wish to. The grass is not always greener, and I've been known around here to say the grass is not. If, the, if you think the grass is greener, water your own lawn. It's so obvious, you know. It's, <laughs> yeah, the amount of people that have left our companies over the years. Then ring up, you know, a year later, say, oh, can we come back? It wasn't what we thought. Or, you know, just none of them are perfect all day long. But you can contribute to making it better as well, you know. So 
stay connected. The grass is simply not always cleaner. And certainly have a good work-life balance, and and it's one thing I've always played on, and I've brought it into here, and we we are, we're coaching on it. We're doing a lot of things. Have a work life, work life balance. I've had a lot of guys over the years that worked really long hours and told me how great they were and how hard they were working. And I told them not to do it. I said, because one day your wife will ring me up and tell me that I've been bad, that I've been making you work so hard. And I said, I'll have to tell her that you're the one that doesn't want to go home, not me keeping you. you know, so there's going to be some balance in all this. We actually have to have a nice work life balance. That's a poor example, but. You know, it's not all about work. It's not all about play. It's got to be some balance there. This sounds a little off to one side. Play an instrument. I think for anybody coming along, uh, they should learn an instrument. It gives you a lot of appreciation for music. You meet a very different group of people. The rock bands I've been in over my life, they had nothing to do with machine tools and didn't understand what the hell I did. But they were great fun to be with and they, they taught me all sorts of other things. And then you can go, you know, play an instrument to amuse your own self or if you go to a, a concert, you can have a lot more appreciation for how that person got to that particular point. Or, you know, we were in Italy a couple of years ago and we had we went to a 30-piece um, orchestral, you know, concert. It was just spectacular. It was moving. We still remember it. So, yeah, play an instrument, have healthy hobbies, avoid political distraction. You know, I have my own political beliefs and I don't force them upon anybody else. None of the brands will look after you any more than you'll look after yourself. None of them will really change the course of life for you. Uh, so much of it is about the media and the, the perception and if somebody wants to be in politics, well, great for them. I just avoid political distraction, you know. Um, you can't be totally ignorant of what's going on out there, but don't get drowned by it. Uh, stay positive even in the dark days. And if that means go and see somebody and, uh, you know, have a chat about what's going on in your life and have you know, what's gone wrong. Uh, and try and see another side of it. Look after your own personal presentation. Um, the first job I had out, of, which is the piece and machine tools I had out of my apprenticeship, I had hair down on my shoulders. Uh, yeah, when I went for the job interview, all very full of myself at that time. Got the job. As I'm walking out, the MD said to me, "By the way, uh, Monday, turn up with short hair," and that was it. I turned up with short hair, and uh, I got home. My dad said to me. You had a haircut. I've been trying to get you to have a haircut for years. I said, well, you know, this man told me I need to have it. I think that's very important to, you don't have to be on ourselves, but we have to have presentation. But people do look at people and think you're lazy or you didn't bother shaving or your clothes are creased or something like that. What's that reflect on your attitude of other things in your life, you know? Stand up and shake whoever's hand you have that you meet with commitment. When I was looking to date my my wife when we were very young her father was six foot four ex-army used to stand at the door and greet whoever came in and most of the guys were scared and they broke away so i just walked up walked straight up to him put my hand out and said mr jesse today i'm dean mccarroll and, like, and even the family said this bloke's in you know and my dad <laughs> taught me that as well and i just think that's so important you know have a good handshake at the moment, it's a bit hard to take shake hands. Yes. But I, it's not just the handshake. It's the commitment of being about yourself and being able to present yourself to somebody and not be scared of who they are, whether they're, you know, you'd be respectful of who they are, whether they're Trump or the Queen or, you know, ScoMo or anybody, you know, be, be committed to it. Not about personalities, but get yourself in debt, in good debt as early as you can and stay in it for as long as you can. Keep buying, keep buying properties or whatever the debt is, but get in there early that would be the way I do it. And at the end of the day, enjoy life. I mean, it is what it is, you know, like the current scenario we have now, no one picked this. No one, no one knew this would come. No one ever balanced against it. 
No one made our super funds work around COVID, whatever, none of that sort of stuff. So you can't control some of those things. So enjoy life as what you can control. And if it is, you know, if it is not quite as great as what it was what it was two months ago, that's fine. Enjoy what it is now. Go and have a glass of wine with, wine with your friend or pat your cat on the head or something like that, you know. It's just, that just exudes. If you people are positive and come out with a sort of a view of they're enjoying their life, you just go places. And it's easier to smile than to frown. You know, I forget the number, but the amount of muscles it takes to frown is, you know, you know, five times more than it takes to smile. It's a whole lot easier to smile. You know, so enjoy life. That's how I would look at it. Well, you put a snot on my face. There you go. Case. See, it works. <laughs> <laughs> what a powerful... I had some advice once upon a time. When somebody asked you how you were, the answer is unbelievable. But if you said it's really bad, like that puts a downturn on things. If you said it's so darn good, people say, yeah, look, he's, he's telling me that. I don't really believe it. When you say unbelievable, you try it. If you say unbelievable, people will smile. They think, oh, wow, that's, that's positive. So, you know, Absolutely. there's a slight, and there's nothing insincere about that. It's actually genuine. Yeah. Uh, you know, even if it is really bad, it's unbelievable. You can't imagine how bad that could, how could it come to that? Well, if it is so good, you think, what do I do to make it so good? That's really unbelievable either, you know? So it's a, it's a good turn <laughs> of phrase. You know? It is indeed. It is indeed. What a powerful, diverse range of, of messages there. Thank you so much, Dean. You've been fantastic to talk with and very interesting journey in Korea. Dean McCarroll, Managing Director, Akuma Australia, New Zealand. Thank you very much for your time. It's been great talking with you. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast episode of Engineering Career Journeys. Please like, subscribe and provide feedback. Australia-wide engineering recruitment can be found at australiawide.com.au or on our LinkedIn page. We look forward to presenting more interviews with interesting engineers shortly.